0: I would like to ask you a question as we're starting here this morning. It's this been a pretty somber morning so far. and uh, Just there's going to be a little bit of lightheartedness coming through this text here this morning. And, and I think that's all right. Okay. How many of you are speed readers? I mean, legitimate speed readers. You read fastly, you understand it, you digest it, you move on. Okay. So what's interesting is that the vast majority of us should have raised our hand if we're talking about reading the Bible. Because we tend to turn into speed readers when it comes to reading the word of God, right? I mean, that nope, nope, okay, did my duty for the day, right? You know, I mean, we, we, if we're not careful, we can quickly race, read the Bible, check off the list on our spirituality checklist, right? Check off the box. And then we miss the wonder and reality of the text. So he, turn to John chapter 11 here first this morning. Turn to John chapter 11. If you're going to have to memorize the verse... Pick a short one. No, I, I, I'm, I'm kidding, right? I, seriously, I'm, I'm kidding. But this is often how we, we, we come to reading God's word. We come to memorizing God's word. It's quick. Well, here we go. John 11, verse 35. We all know it. Jesus wept. Sweet, right? <laughs> Memorize that for next week. No, um, we, what, the point is, is that we will read something like that. We think, hey, I had my quiet time for the day. Okay, And we don't stop and think, now, why was it Jesus wept? We don't stop and think that. We don't think through the reality of what took place around those two words. Okay? We don't do that. That's often how we treat God's word. We race through our time with the Lord to make us feel good about ourselves, even though we do not ruminate on the truth that we have encountered, nor do we think through the application to our lives. This morning, we're going to look at a text that many of us know, right? I mean, we've heard a Bible story many times since when we were very young. And I encourage you, do not get lost in the familiarity of the story. We want to read God's word and let him speak through it. So now we're going to spend our time together this morning in Acts chapter 12. So let's turn there. Acts chapter 12 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Join me there. Blastus Rhoda and the sovereignty of God. Many people have preached from this text in the past, and I'm sure many people will preach from it in the future. Okay, a couple of years ago, I was in a conference setting where I heard this passage taught, and it really, you know, God used that teaching to grip my heart. And quite honestly, many of the thoughts out of that setting are are sprinkled throughout our time here this morning. You know, and, and I came to love this text at that time. And that's my prayer this morning, is that you would come to love this text as well. So let's start at verse 1 together. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. As we walk through this text this morning, we are going to look at four simple points, Lord willing, that we could take and, and work in our lives as well. The first point in the text is God is supremely sovereign even in the midst of my personal adversity. God is supremely sovereign even in the midst of my personal adversity. And right away here in verse 1, we see a name that should be familiar to many of us, right? It's Herod. Well, Herod, okay, this particular Herod is Herod Agrippa. He's the grandson of Herod the Great, and Herod the Great would have been the guy who was in charge when Jesus was born. Okay, so there we have a connection. And and just on a side note, you know, Herod's not—it's not like you're naming your child Herod; it's more of a title kind of thing. Okay. Uh, In addition, verse one tells us that Herod intentionally inflicted suffering. You know, the ESV uh, really renders that well. I think it it renders the phrase "violent hands." Okay, it seems Herod planned to inflict harm or damage on people. In verse two, we see this. Uh, Furthered in verse 2, where it tells us that James, the brother of John, was killed. And then not wanting to stop there, right? Herod's he's a consummate politician, which is appropriate that we're on this text at this time of year. Okay, Herod's the, he's the consummate politician. And he takes notice that the people were pleased with his actions. Verse 3, right? Verse 3 says, He saw that it pleased the Jews. In other words, Herod had a focus group before focus groups were really in vogue, okay? He had his own focus group, and he, he pursued that. He, he took advantage of it, okay? And following here, Herod had Peter arrested. And if we aren't careful, we can read the verses so quickly we lose the reality of what's taking place. The, the book here that we're looking at, the book of Acts, the human author is Dr. Luke, Okay, and he tells us this was during the Days of Unleavened Bread. Okay, this would have been a seven-day ritual feast, which would have followed Passover. So at this time frame, keep in mind, uh, we've got Passover and you've got the ritual feast then, and, and Jerusalem would have been packed with people who have come up to the city. They've ascended up to the city, even as we see in the Psalms, right? You ascend to Jerusalem. They would have ascended to the city to take part in these activities. So the city would have been packed. Keep that in mind. The text says Herod seized Peter and delivered him to the soldiers. I believe you can continue on, make the inference that Herod had the intention of delivering Peter to death, even as he had done with James. Okay, and it says Herod passed Peter, or delivered him to four squads of soldiers, squad of soldiers being four, four times four is 16, right, we've got 16 guards to guard Peter, okay, And each squad, so each squad was responsible for one watch of the night, one watch of the night. And in this culture, the night would be what we would know as 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., right? I mean, that would be the night time, 12 hours, night. And so the guards were responsible to switch out shifts, right? Each one, each set, each set of four to take a watch of the night. Why would so many guards be needed? I mean, quite honestly, it seems like a little bit of overkill. Right? It just seems like a little bit of overkill. It's a little over the top. But if you, if you remember correctly, and this is, again, read slowly. Okay? Just a couple chapters back in the book of Acts, back in chapter 5, we see this isn't the first time Peter's been imprisoned. Oh, no. No, no. Acts 5 tells us that the apostles were imprisoned in a public prison, but verse 19 tells us that the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. Right? Right? opened the prison doors, and he brought them out. So with that in mind, it's understandable Herod may have wanted to keep many eyes on the situation, okay? Keeping that prison door thing in mind, he may have, you know, he knew it was going to be important here, okay? Considering this from a slightly different approach, let me ask you this. Have you ever been an overnight patient in the hospital? Now we're going to try to sort through this from Peter's perspective, okay? You're an overnight patient in the hospital? Yeah, you know, we all think that's a grand time, Um, right? No offense to the medical personnel here, really. I I appreciate, you know, the task God has given you and how you are so diligent in that that scenario, right? Um, I remember when my appendix burst and I was in the hospital. I had very diligent nurses. Um, at, I'm falling asleep at night, and just before, you know, I'm about to go into that happy sleep land. Here comes the nurse, and she comes in, and she is doing her job. Beep, beep, beeping. Things are going in the ear. You know, they're still doing things in the ear, and so th- things are going in the ear, testing, checking temperature, and then we're we're beeping other machines. You know, it's a good time, and then she leaves. Her shift is done, and so then I start heading off toward that happy sleep line again, just in time for the next nurse to come in. Okay, and now the next nurse comes in, and she is doing her job, making sure all is well with my body, and I am appreciative of that. At the time, though, I wanted sleep, right? You know, okay, so now, just just think through this, right? If you've ever been in that situation, think through this in Peter's situation, okay? His guards would have changed every three hours, every watch, three-hour change, And I sincerely doubt the guards would have been that self conscious of being quiet as they were taking off the shackles and reshackling things, right? Okay, now as we consider this text and many situations in our own lives, we need to remember this God is not surprised. God isn't surprised. Not at all. No matter the situation, no matter what we are going through, no matter what we have gone through, no matter the scenario, no matter the event, God is not looking down from heaven at the event saying, oh my goodness, whatever will I do? Okay, that's not, that's not taking place. God is not surprised. You know, even though in this setting, James has been beheaded, Peter's heading that direction. God is still God. No matter what's going on in your lives, God is still God. God is still in control. God is still on his throne. God is still supremely sovereign. Look at the beginning of verse 6. We continue on here this morning. Verse 6, just the beginning. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, this is the second point of our text here this morning. God is supremely sovereign even when all seems lost or all hope is gone. God is supremely sovereign even when all seems lost or all hope is gone. And we see an incredible, incredible commentary here in verse 6. The text says Herod was about to bring Peter out that very night. Okay, now, the text wasn't talking about Herod bringing Peter out to get some exercise. Okay, the text, it, it, Herod's not going to bring Peter out to offer him some world-class cuisine. Right? Herod's not going to bring Peter out to enjoy the sights of Jerusalem at night. Right? I mean, that's not what's taking place here. No, Herod is politically savvy. We saw that back there, right? He saw that it pleased the Jews. Okay, So he knows what it would take to please the Jewish leaders. No, Herod is going to bring Peter out really for one sole purpose, to kill him. Okay. Peter would have known what had happened to James. Okay. Peter knew he was not going to receive a happy Hanukkah card from Herod that year. Right? I mean, he knew. He knew this was not going to happen. He knew there was tension here. He knew the prison was a stepping stone to death. There's a sequence there. So in light of all that's taking place, this is just tremendous. Okay? Just God's word is so good, right? Look at the text. We're going to start back at the beginning of verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. I mean, now, if we just read over that, what do we, well, Peter was sleeping. Okay. Let's move on. What's the next verse? Right? Well, no, no, no. Stop and think about this. Okay. If you are going through a very, very stressful time in life, okay, what do we have trouble doing? Sleeping. Right? Why is it that people go to the doctor to ask for something to help them? Sleep. It's because we are struggling with t- tension in our bodies, right? And so, and so, you know, the remarkable thing here is that Peter was sleeping. He was sleeping. He knows his life is hanging in the balance, but he's sleeping. He knows James likely could just be serving as the precursor to him, and Peter was sleeping, right? Right? The text says he was chained to a guard on either side of him, and there were additional guards posted outside the door to his cell. Peter was sleeping. Very likely, the floor where he was staying, you know, I I doubt it was um, a a cush prison of any kind, right? You know, I I sincerely doubt that. Uh, Likely, the floor was very hard, very uncomfortable. This wasn't the Ritz-Carlton, but Peter was sleeping. Peter would have had to be resting in God. He would have had to be trusting in God. He would have had to be taking his restless thoughts captive. Okay, let's continue with verse 7. Verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. Okay, so again, if we're not careful, we can read the text so quickly, we lose the miraculous reality of what takes place. Peter's in the prison. It would have been dark. It's nighttime. Okay? Now, we're we're going to just try to help us grasp this just a little bit, okay? So if you're if you, you don't like bright lights and things changing, just cover your eyes, close your eyes for just a moment, okay? Cuz we're we're about to have a quick change of lights here, okay? So Peter's in the prison. And it was dark. It got a little bit of ambient light still in here, but it, this is dark. It's dark, right? And and it would have been dark then, like Wotex kind of dark. I mean, it just it would be dark, right? And so this is our context. And then all of a sudden, there's some light, like this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, this works so much better, second hour, I cannot tell you. Okay, anyway, so it, just, it happened just, we, we don't know exactly what took place, we just know it was dark and then poof, there was light, okay? That's what we know from the text. But this, quite honestly, this is going to stick with us, isn't it? This is going to stick with us. Darkness, boom, there's an angel and there's light. Oh my goodness. I mean, that would have been amazing. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Uh, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, so now, we're, we're going to keep going with the text, right? The text says Peter was struck by the angel. He's struck by the angel. and In the Greek, there's a strong connection here between the word that, that's used to describe the angel striking Peter here, and then the word where, uh, that's in, over in John 18, where Peter is striking the priest's servant, and in that striking, he whacks off an ear, Okay, so we, we got a connection here. This wasn't a little nudge. Okay, this wasn't a nudge. I mean, it, it, there was some, th- there must have been some strength behind this little angelic love tap. Okay, I mean, th- think through that. It was like, no, there's some force there. Okay, verse 8, and the angel, look at that. And the angel said to him, right, said to Peter, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And the angel said to Peter, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. This almost has the feeling, you know, of of a a young child who's been awakened far too early in the morning to go on a hunting or a fishing trip, you know, that that the parent or the grandparent has decided is going to be the best thing ever, right? You know, and so the child has been awakened far too early or for some sort of trip, you know, some some ghastly road trip that you're going to go on together as a family. And, oh, yeah, we're going to wake up at 3 in the morning. Okay, well... and that's why we often tell our kids to what? Wear the clothes you're going to wear tomorrow when you go to bed tonight, right? You know, seriously. Well, here, that's not the case. It's the angel tells tells Peter, dress yourself, and it kind of has the feeling of, uh, you know, when you've told that child that you've just awoken so early, dress yourself. It's like, uh, oh, okay, all right. You know, the body's complying, but you know, the lights on, but we're not really sure anybody's home yet, right? I mean, because the the eyes are blankly staring ahead, and so we're not quite connecting there. It almost has that feel there, okay? I'm sure many of us have seen that, and many more of us have done that, right? We've been that zombie kind of person. Okay, look at verse 9. Verse 9, and Peter went out and followed the angel. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. (laughs) I think you you could look at this, and Peter could have thought he was dreaming, right? Or maybe thought he was already dead. This is just, you know, it's a vision. It's an apparition. Look at verse 10. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and the angel went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Right now, now this is great, okay? The text says the gate miraculously opened. It opened for them of its own accord. Remember, we just glanced at Acts chapter 5? So this isn't the first time that this kind of thing has happened for Peter. Keep that in mind. Okay, keep that in mind. So the door opened automatically, right? And the Greek word there is automatos. Okay? And you can, you can hear the connection to where we, we translate in, into English here, automatic or automatically. Okay, look at verse 11. When Peter came to himself... He said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Okay, Peter finally awoke, right? He finally woke up. He came to himself. And again, there's an interesting scenario that's taking place here. Okay, the text says Peter came to himself you know, it, it, whether he thought he was dreaming or whether he thought, you know, he was dead and gone to heaven, you know, we, we don't know. The text doesn't say. You know, he may have been disappointed to find himself still there because as he was thinking through the reality, you know, James had been killed. Here he's in prison and he knows that he's next in line type of thing, you know. I mean, he could have been disappointed to find himself still in Jerusalem instead of be with his Lord in heaven. You know, part of coming to himself would have been this realization that he was standing alone. Now, right, he's alone now in the middle of Jerusalem, right? And what's, what's taking place, remember? Oh, yeah, back in those first five verses, there's a lot of people in Jerusalem because we've just had Passover, now we've got this feast thing going on because we've got a lot of people here. Oh, and by the way, Peter is probably one of the better well-known members of the Jerusalem church, right? He probably had a face that was recognizable. Peter, that's right, he was supposed to be in prison, He's now standing in the middle of Jerusalem, packed with people who have ascended for the Passover. Rightly, Peter should have been concerned. Right? He was supposed to be in prison. He was supposed to be delivered to death. Now, all of a sudden, he's very visible. And very visibly not in prison, right, where the Jewish leaders thought he should be. Okay, this is, this is getting a little bit awkward. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you, you're thinking, you know, God, why this? Well, Well, uh, of all people, that Peter could have been in that same thought process. You know, God, why this? Why, why, Why is this taking place? You know, we might say this was not good timing. This was not good timing, right? Have you ever been in a situation where you thought God's timing was just a little bit off? We need to remember well our God is supremely sovereign. One author has stated this. God's never late, but he's hardly ever early. Okay, and I would amend that. I would say, you know, God, yeah, God's never late, but he's hardly ever early from my perspective. From God's perspective, (laughs) he's right on time, right? God is the one who is supremely sovereign. He is the one who is in control. His timing is perfect, and whether or not I like that timing... It's really of little consequence. It doesn't matter. So let's keep moving. Verse 12. Verse 12. When he realized this, okay, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary. So he was alone, right? He's alone in the middle of Jerusalem. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So it, it, you know, I think we could see from this, this wasn't the, probably the first time Peter have ever Peter had ever been to Mary's house. And it would seem that there was, that was a, a, a common place where they would gather as a local church body because he thought that's where he would go. Okay, so there's a little bit, you, you can think through that. So he's, he's headed to this house. And this is the next point in the text. God is supremely sovereign even when I struggle to understand. God is supremely sovereign even when I struggle to understand. <sighs> Do you struggle to understand at times? I know I do. I know I do. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, each one of us would say, yeah, there are times where I struggle to understand. You know, and and from a biblical text perspective, really, we we like to come up with two poster children, right? Two poster boys for struggling to understand, right? Doubting, trouble with faith. Um, Thomas, right? Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. He refused to believe until he could touch the scars the Lord. The other one was Peter, right? Peter, just because Peter was Peter, right? I mean, <laughs> one vivid example of, of Peter in this type of scenario is uh, um, them in the boat, and Jesus says, hey, come out of the boat. Jesus is walking on the water, and he says, get out of the boat and walk toward me, and we know how well that turned out, right? You know, and so we tend to think of Thomas and Peter as the poster children, right, for, for this kind of thing, And back in the text, we we see again that this is right after the funeral of James. So James had died and they've had the funeral, and now this is right after that time frame. This is James, the brother of John. So all of Jerusalem thinks Peter is in prison. Mary is hosting a prayer meeting. Now with all of that as a backdrop, let's look at verse 13. Verse 13, And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And there's one of the, the names from our text this morning, Rhoda. Okay, Rhoda. Peter's knocking at the door of the gateway. Okay, isn't that great? You know, the text is so straightforward. Peter knocked at the door. Okay, all right. So this likely would have been a courtyard, right? There there was a courtyard on the exterior of the house, and so it would seem that Rhoda was the person assigned to answer the courtyard door as people were showing up for the prayer meeting. Now, think through this again. Think through this, Okay. Peter didn't want to draw attention to himself, but he needed to get inside the courtyard. So how should he knock? Right? How should he knock? Well, if you knock too quietly, no one's going to hear that being knocked on from the other side of the door, and he's going to be left standing in the street. Right? And that's not going to be helpful, because remember, he's supposed to be in prison. Okay? But then again... If I had something to pound on, I'd pound on it. But if you were to knock so loudly, right, now we're in a scenario of where it, these, these weren't one-acre lots, okay? Don't, 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 don't ruin this with the American landscape here, okay? These weren't one-acre one lots. They weren't half-acre lots. They weren't even, you know, quarter-acre lots. I just sincerely doubt that. It's just this is the type of scenario where you just would have had them next door to each other. And here's Peter out in the middle of the street. And he's, boy, do I knock softly? Do I knock loudly? You know, because if I knock too loudly, then other people are going to hear this and they're going to try to see what the commotion is. Look at verse verse 14. Verse 14. Recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Okay. This is (laughs) good. Thank you. This is so good, right? uh, Rhoda recognized Peter's voice. But why don't you just hang on there for a second? I'm going to run and tell the others that you're at the gate. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the text doesn't say she said that, but you know, you know, she's like, she leaves him standing there. The guy's supposed to be in prison. Okay, so she is the person who's supposed to let people in for the prayer meeting, but the person for whom they are having the prayer meeting shows up. She leaves him standing outside. Okay, you know, I, seriously, I, I, the, mm, there's humor in there. Okay, now, now think through this awkward situation in which Peter found himself he 's standing in the street outside a courtyard. The city is packed with people. He was about to show up on jerusalem 's most wanted right? His face is well known, and the person who is supposed to let people into the prayer meeting leaves him standing outside. okay This is just one of those you know hypothetical things. you know maybe Peter just found himself wondering. You know, Lord, a little automatos right now would be stellar. You know, another door right here. You know, I don't know. The text doesn't tell us that, so that's just a thought. Okay, verse 15, though. Okay, we're back to Rhoda, back to reality, right? Rhoda said to her, or excuse me, they said to her, right, they said to Rhoda, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying it is his angel. Okay, so the text here says this is, this is uh, a demonstration of kindness and compassion, loving and being gentle, right? I mean, this is, the people here are being the epitome of Colossians 3.12, which states, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. No, no, not really. That, that's not what they're doing here. In fact, they tell Rhoda that she is crazy, crazy. The Greek word used here is I," from which we derive our English word, Maniac, right? Okay, crazy. This is good, right? Okay, so even as she kept insisting it was Peter, the rest of the prayer meeting kept insisting it was a ghost or an angel. I think we've got two viable interpretations here. Okay, first, the Jewish superstition held to belief that each person had a guardian angel who could assume that person's likeness. Okay, possibility. Maybe the people thought that was the case in this situation. Another option would be that the prayer group thought Peter was already dead. And this would testify to weak faith with which all of us can identify, right? Weak faith, thinking Peter was dead. And understand, I'm not, I'm not judging them. I'm identifying with them, right? Many of us have been there. Many of us will be there. And we've continued praying even when we didn't think it was making any difference. We've continued praying even when we think it didn't matter, Okay, we've continued praying even when we think there is no reason to pray. Very possibly the folks here at the prayer meeting believed it was already over. Right, you know, just, and this is just, you know, we, we, we pray. We're funny, right? You can almost hear them praying, you know, Lord, Lord, please set Peter free, even though we're pretty sure he's probably dead. You know, or, or here's another one. Lord, Lord, please be with Peter. Well, that is, unless he's already with you. Okay, See there, you got, some of you got that, some of you got that. No, no, didn't get it at all, first hour. Okay, so anyway, um, I personally believe the folks at the prayer meeting thought it was over. Okay, they thought it was over, right? Our weak faith is, generally speaking, it's demonstrated through weak prayer. But there is hope. There is hope, and here's the encouragement for all of us. God's strength trumps my weakness. God's wisdom trumps my foolishness. God's sovereignty trumps my lack of faith. God is in control. Okay, praise God that he does not act dependent upon my faith or your faith, right? In fact, it's quite the opposite. God acts in spite of our lack of faith. Verse 16, continue on. But Peter continued knocking. <laughs> Isn't that great? He's left at the gate. Rhoda leaves him there. He just keeps knocking. You know, you're just wondering, like, there. Um, guys, it's me. It's Peter. You know, can anyone hear me? You know? But uh, seriously, don't miss the tension here, right? He needs to get inside the courtyard. Peter needs to get into this enclosed area. The only way to get in is for someone to open the door, right, to let him in. But he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. Okay, and so, so when, when they opened, there we go, they opened the gates, And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. <laughs> so, so they finally opened the gate and, whoa, look, it's Peter. Who knew, right? Well, Rhoda knew, okay. So, you know, but again, we, we want to make sure we don't rush over the text. And so it says Peter used his hands to quiet them down. Why do you think Peter would have had to do that? Okay? These people were gathered in a prayer meeting, praying for whom? Peter, who was supposed to be in prison. And all of a sudden, whoa, he's right here. And now we've got these people in this enclosed area, and they see Peter you're going to be pretty excited, right, to see the guy. And so, chatter, chatter, chatter. Very likely, you know, just, that, it would seem that's what the text, because Peter had to get them to quiet down, right? He's telling them, hey, be quiet, be quiet. And if he doesn't get them to quiet down, people are going to hear, and they're going to wonder what's going on, right? He doesn't want his location to be made known because Herod still wanted him killed to please the Jewish leader's focus group. But he's now inside the courtyard, uh, so he gets them to quiet down. And after he gets them to settle down, Peter tells them about God's work during the night. He doesn't tell them about his tremendous faith. He tells them about God's work. That's what the text says. Peter did not tell them what he had done. He told them what God had done. And there's a key difference between the two. And then he tells the folks, you know, tell James, the Lord's brother, and then tell the brothers, right? Just make it known. Okay, verse 18. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. <laughs> I love Luke, right? Dr. Luke, is, he, 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 he writes with very specific language, right? He uses specific words, and words have meanings. Okay, there's no little disturbance. Therefore, what kind of a disturbance? It was a big one, right? I mean, there, there's a huge disturbance here, Okay. Um, no small commotion was another uh, option in terms of translation, or a personal favorite would be no small tumult, okay? Dr. Luke in his understated way of handling things. Verse 19, and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Okay, so the first portion of the verse here, as was the custom of this time, the manner of this time, if you had prisoners, you were guarding a prisoner, and the prisoner escaped, your life was given in exchange for that prisoner. In other words, you gave up your life. You were killed in lieu of the prisoner. Okay, so that was common. Okay, and then the, the end of the verse is interesting. right? Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. This would have been Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the sea, uh, which, by the way, would be a great place to vacation. Now we're ready to consider the final concept from the text. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. This is the final point we're going to remember here from the text. God is supremely sovereign even when the wicked seem to prosper. God is supremely sovereign even when the wicked seem to prosper. And here we get one of the best biblical names ever, right? Verse 20, Blastus. It's got to be one of the least used Bible names ever, right? (laughs) So, oh, wait, I see some of the pregnant ladies jotting that down as possibilities, right? No, no, just like nobody uses that name. Okay, Uh, but in all seriousness, the people of Tyre and Sidon were dependent upon food from, from Herod. They were hungry. They were starving. Herod was angry with them. That's what it says in the text. And they wanted to get on Herod's good side. That's why they tried going through blastus to get to Herod's good side. Okay, these would have been desperate people. This last April, I had the opportunity to be in Ethiopia to teach a group of national pastors. And ironically, the book I was teaching them was the book of Acts. So in this setting, though, I was able to see and appreciate this verse in a whole new light. I would interact with men in that setting who would choose to forego food so that their children could eat. And I really, the Lord used that to grip my heart in that setting. Okay. Okay. Generally speaking, parents will do whatever is necessary to make sure their children can eat. And that can be a commendable trait. Look at verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took a seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Okay, so Herod spoke to the gathered crowd. He gave them a speech, formal speech, presentation. But, But notice the two words in there. Notice there are two words, right? Royal robes. The Jewish historian Josephus chronicles these particular robes in this way. Quote, Herod put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a truly wonderful contexture and came into the theater early in the morning at which time the silver of his garment was illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it. It shone out after a surprising manner. End quote. Okay, so these were some serious clothes that he was wearing. Verse 22, we see the response from the people. Uh, And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. We've got a classic case of mob mentality right here. Okay? And remember, the people were hungry. Their children were starving. They needed food. Food. The new Herod was the one who could release the food. They tried again to go through blastus, right, to get to that food. We use a phrase around our house, why are we surprised when God's word proves itself to be true? Why are we surprised when God's word proves itself to be true? This is one of those moments. Okay. God's word presents the reality of Herod, the people, and the speech. Josephus, the Jewish historian, again, corroborates this entire scene. In Jewish antiquities, Josephus paints this picture of the cry growing from one person, then to another, and then to another, and to another. Okay, you can almost see the scene, can't you? I mean, here's Herod. He's dressed out in these these fine, finely tailored clothes, reflecting this light. And there's this group of people, okay? (laughs) You always put yourself in the role of one of the dads there, right? There's a father. He's got starving children. They need food. The dad's thinking, there's got to be something I could say to get on his good side. You know, I wonder what I could say to get on his good side, right? You know, just thinking through in his mind. uh, Great speech? No, no. That's not, not, not personal enough. You know, um... How about a great suit? No, no, not poignant enough. And then it comes to him. I've got it. The voice of a God and not of a man. Yeah, that's it. And then as one voice says it, another voice hears that and it's like, yeah. And they start saying the voice of a God. and And it just keeps building and building and building. And Herod accepts it as praise to himself. And then God acts. Look at verse 23. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Okay, the last point we're contemplating here is that God is supremely sovereign even when the wicked seem to prosper. There are two key aspects to this. The first one's really simple. God is in control period. God's in control. The second is the word seems. Seems is paramount here. It may seem the wicked are prospering. It may seem the wicked are getting away with things. It may seem that God is letting things slide, but the time is coming when God will make all things right. Hey, okay? justice will be served, and we were reminded of this verse this last Sunday, right? Hebrews Chapter 6, verse 10 states this, for God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And then in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Jesus continues this thought by saying, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay everyone for what he has done. God is good. God is just and righteous. And one day he will make all things right. Just as we wind down here, just a side note to contemplate this, there's a contrast between the two main human characters in this passage. Okay, we've got Peter and Herod. This takes me back to my undergraduate days studying English. Herod is the antagonist, he's the bad guy, and he's fully dependent upon himself, self sufficient. Peter is the protagonist, the good guy, and he's fully dependent upon Almighty God, right? So now just think through the sequence here. Herod puts Peter in prison. Peter is released from prison by Almighty God, okay? Herod says, see how great I am, even as he's receiving the praise from the people. But contrast that against Peter saying to the church gathered at the prayer meeting, see how great God is? Look what God did. And another interesting thought is that Peter would likely have known about this death of Herod, and he would have known about it. And with that in mind, think through the contrast as Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Herod sought to exalt himself, and God tore him down. Again, why are we surprised when God's word proves itself to be true? So who's the focus of this text? Let me help you out. It's not Herod. It's not Rhoda. It's not Blastus, even though that is an amazing name. It's not even Peter. Okay, the focus of this text is Almighty God. Right? The text is a demonstration of God's greatness, God's faithfulness. It's a demonstration of God's justice. Also a demonstration of God's mercy. It's a demonstration of God's judgment and God's grace. So, what happens? Look at verse 24. This is the end result. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Right? As a result, of God's glory and greatness is made known. They are made known. We've seen God's greatness demonstrated here through this text this morning. We all need to be reminded of this, I think more often than we really think about it. Right? Our God is good. Our God is supremely sovereign. It doesn't matter if things are going awry in my life. Right? God is supremely sovereign in the midst of my personal adversity. God is supremely sovereign when all seems lost or all hope is gone. God is supremely sovereign when I struggle to understand. And God is supremely sovereign even when the wicked seem to prosper. Psalm 115 reminds us well. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Lord God, oh, Father, thank you for this reminder here this morning. <sighs> uh, study, Lord, you know, studying this text has been so good for my heart. You know, the last several weeks have not gone really the way I would have planned them. Indeed, Father, I'm sure there are many others in this room many others who will listen to this who, who could testify to the same thing. All right, they, we, we would echo that thought. Lord, we, there are physical issues, there are job issues, there are relational issues, and we, we, can, we can fall into the trap of thinking that only we know about them. But you know, Lord. In fact, you know far better than we do. You don't know simply about the situation, but you know how the situation will turn out to bring you the most glory. Sadly, Father, uh, we, we are the pottery. We, we are the piece of clay, right? We're, we're the pottery, and we, we get into our mind, though, that, that we should be the potter. Right? We find ourselves wanting to take your position, wanting to outline how things will turn out, wanting to script the ending so everything seems right from our perspective. Sadly, Lord, you know, isn't it funny? Very little has changed. Ultimately, we want to buy into the lie that we can be like you. Father, forgive my arrogance. Lord, forgive me for thinking that I know better than you. Indeed, Lord, may we as your people, may we remember well your words through the Apostle Paul. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who was first given to him? It shall be repaid to him. Lord, you are in control, not us. You are supremely sovereign. We are weak. We are sinful. We are frail. We are a vapor. Lord, we desperately need you. Even as you worked through Peter, during times of both good and bad. Strengthen us, Lord. Please strengthen us to honor you as you work similar situations in our lives. Ultimately, to bring glory to you and to conform us, to change us into the likeness of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.